Good to see you all. My name is Pastor Dave. If I haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you. I'm available uh, to spend time with you all. It's my, my joy to get to know you. So if I haven't gotten to have a personal conversation with you yet, would you reach out? And uh, I'd love to get to know you. As we get going, we're looking at Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 7 through 12 today. And if there was a title for this sermon, it would be Keep Praying. Keep Praying. There's a person in uh, the past few years who I've come to look up to. Uh, he's uh, not a very public person, although he could be. Uh, he was the former National Institutes of Health director. His name's Dr. Francis Collins. And uh, he came from being a medical physician to being the head of the Human Genome Project in St. Louis. That's where I came to know him because I was in the St. Louis area. And uh, so he is an extremely smart man. He helped map the human genome. Uh, if that means anything to you, you know that's pretty amazing. And uh, then he was appointed uh, to serve under a series of presidents. He became the longest serving director of the National Institutes of Health. And something that I came to know increasingly about him is that he is a, uh, a very committed and earnest Christian man. As he uh, was often interviewed throughout the last couple of years as uh, a pandemic has become uh, a focus of our national life and of our day-to-day -day life, he's a person that people would ask questions to uh, because he's not only a scientist, but he's also a person of faith. And so people would ask Dr. Collins, uh, so, so what's getting you through every day? And early in the morning, this man rises. And before he's meeting with people from the CDC, before he's doing a White House briefing, before he's doing whatever he does, reading the briefs from all of the research that's sponsored by the NIH, before he does all that, he is alone in his office praying. He's praying. What got him through? He, he shared in an interview uh, well, he would go back to familiar psalms and promises of God. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, Psalm 46.1. And he says, I need that because we're in trouble. <laughs> and he couldn't wrap his arms around everything that was going on, try as he might, do all the work that he might. He needed God. And he encouraged Christians and people in the United States, Christian or not, to look to God in hope in this season. Well, Many of his colleagues, think about this, he's a high power scientist. Many of his colleagues would look at what he would do and call that an utter waste of time. Why would you, you who have the attention of the leaders of the United States government and of the United States medical establishment, you who really could have the listening ear of the world and, and you need to get through all this research, you have all this important administrative work to do, why would you waste your time praying, doing this unseen thing that doesn't do anything immediate or physical in our world. How, how, why would you spend time on that? And the reason why is because he knows something that many of us here have come to know, that Christian prayer is the most powerful force in the world. There's nothing more powerful that we have access to than God. And the wonder of prayer is that we have access to him. This is part of the beauty of the gospel, the good news of the Christian life. We who are forgiven, who call Jesus our Lord and our Savior, we have access, boldness to go to the Father anytime, any day, all day. 
We have access to God. And we can ask him for help in times of need. We can ask him for whatever it is that's on our hearts. We have access to him. And Jesus is teaching his disciples here in Matthew chapter 7. He's teaching them how to make use of that access. The wonder is that God is your father. He's taught that in the previous chapter. He continues that right here. You can relate to God as father. You have access to him. And he's teaching them to pray. Well, these are people who, like us, are learning to pray. And they're people who, perhaps not entirely like us, who have uh, maybe an even deeper sense of the trouble that they're in on a day-to-day basis. When they pray the Lord's Prayer and pray for daily bread, they actually mean it. They need jobs so that they can get bread for today. They need health. Lord, Father, keep me healthy. I can't work if I'm not healthy. Father, heal my son, heal my daughter. They know of of spiritual oppression. We see demons. We see all sorts of um, things that that would maybe uh, cause trouble to some folks who have a modern scientific worldview. If that's you, come and talk to me. These are the people who are coming to Jesus. And he was delivering them. And the Father would deliver them. People with infertility. People who couldn't have children. And they looked around and they saw other people in the community full of joy, seeing their children grow. And they longed to be able to share in that joy. And there was a deep sadness and a wounding. People in Jesus' own extended family and friends knew about this sort of pain. And one of the, the difficult realities of prayer is that it requires stamina. It requires a kind of stamina for doing something that's unseen And also for going to God and asking for something, sometimes for a long time. And we often don't have the stamina for prayer. In our faltering, we can just stop praying. It can just become too hard to ask for that thing that in our heart, in our woundedness, that we've been asking for for so long. To keep asking, it just hurts, so we stop. And and James, the brother of Jesus, would, would sort of gently challenge us in that moment. And say, you know, you don't have because you don't ask. <laughs> James 4.2. And then in our fallenness, at times, we can do this. Lord, help us. We talk about prayer, but often don't actually pray. We'll say, oh, I'm praying for you. Oh, I've been praying for you. How are you? Really, though. Lord, help us if we haven't been. It's much like the Pharisees in the chapter before who have this very public life of prayer. Pray for pastors and people who pray in public. It's a trap at times when we talk about prayer but rarely pray ourselves. And then there's just a faithlessness, an increasing faithlessness. It's certainly in our culture. It's in some branches of of folks who call themselves Christians in, in the Christian church, mainstream churches that have given up on prayer Saying instead, we just need to serve. We need to be active. As though there's this dichotomy between praying and serving God. But that can come into the church as well. True believers. Losing faith in God. The true power behind prayer. 
the most powerful force in the world. And if, if, if any of this is you, we're going to be finding grace to help us in Matthew 7. Because Jesus is teaching us why we should keep praying. Why should we keep praying? Why? Because the Father loves to give us good gifts. He loves it when we come to him. He is an accessible, good father. Now, if you have uh, thoughts in your mind or if you know of a friend or you, you might even hear this at work or from someone, you, you, you might hear that you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good, all your pious prayers, but you don't do anything. What good are you really in the world, all you Christians? Just read your Bible and pray all day. What good is it? If that's you, we, we, we will find help here in this passage for you. Perhaps some, some challenge, some nudging. But if you're here today with uh, the wounds of unanswered prayer, wondering why, God, I asked you for a good thing, and I haven't seen it, or I didn't see it. If that's you today, we're going to be in your neighborhood too, and, and we'll find grace to help us there. Jesus as he meets us. So let's pray and then we'll continue looking to Jesus. Father, thank you for your word that you would speak to us. We need to hear you, Lord. So we're listening. For those of us here who maybe wonder if you're really there, would you come and meet us today in a way we can't deny? Would you reveal your love, reveal Jesus risen in glory, the crucified Savior? Help us to see him as we look to him in his word, we pray. In his name, amen. Keep praying. God loves to give you good gifts, and he loves it when we depend on him in prayer as our father. He's not stingy. Sometimes uh, with my time, I can be kind of stingy. So Christina comes, and she wants me uh, to take the trash out. But I was busy working on a project, and I don't want to take two minutes to take the trash out right now. Or the kids come to me, and they want to ask me a question, or they want to tell me about this or that. And I don't want to do that right now because I'm doing X, Y, or Z, whatever the thing is. I know that's only me. But God is not like that. He is not stingy with his time. He's accessible constantly. So much so that he gives us a threefold invitation to come to him. He says, ask, seek, knock. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And notice in this promise, in this command, there is promise built in of this invitation, this constant access it is ongoing. There's a present tense to it. Be asking, y'all. Be seeking, be knocking. And as I just implied with the y'all, it's plural. Y'all be asking. Y'all be seeking. Y'all be knocking. There's, a, there's an incredible power when people come together and pray and gather in the name of Jesus. The Lord has promised to be there. There's also divine passives. I don't mean to traumatize you by taking you back to high school English, but in the passive voice is when something is receiving action. And so it will be given to you. Ask and it will be given to you. Knock and it will be open to you. Oftentimes, stylistically in the scriptures, this divine passive is used to show the work of God. God is the one who is acting. 
He is implied. So God is the one giving. He's the one who enables us to find. He's the one who opens the doors that are closed in our faces. And in all this, we see that God is relating to us as a good father. And there's this logic. You find it oftentimes in scripture. How much more logic? We know in our earthly way, even those of us who haven't had perfect parents, which is 100% of us, and all of us who haven't been perfect parents, all of us know how to give good gifts to children that we love. You know, if, if a child came to us and asked for bread, our own, who we love, we wouldn't give them a stone. We're not jokesters like that. If they're, if they're hungry, we want to feed them. And if they came to us asking us for, for fish, we wouldn't give them a snake. We're not going to harm them. We're not malevolent. And neither is God toward us. How much more then will your Father in heaven give you everything that is good? How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good to those who ask him? Things is added for English translation. It just says give good. He gives all that is good. He knows what's good for us in his perfect will. And so we're invited to keep asking. And James, the brother of Jesus, he, he writes on, on the Father's love for us. Every good and perfect gift from, is from above. It comes from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. And he invites us to go to this good Father and ask him. And he says in James 4.2, you don't have because you do not ask. And so ask. As a matter of fact, it's how we love him. Some of us think... Uh, we, we, we develop this kind of cultural thing where we don't want to ask for help. I encourage you, at the very least today, don't carry that into your relationship with God. Ask him. Be asking. It's how you love him. In fact, it's fundamental to how creatures love the creator. We have need love. It's something that is unique to us. We have need. C.S. Lewis wrote about this in The Four Loves. He calls need love that which sends a lonely, frightened child to its mother's arms. And he reflects on this, that human beings approach God most nearly when we, in one sense, are least like God. Think about this. For what can be more unlike than fullness and needs, than sovereignty and humility, righteousness and penitence, limitless power and a cry for help. We come to the Lord and we honor him saying, we need you. Father, we need you. I need you. I can't do this. Help me. It's just like when my children come and ask me to help them zip up their coat. I'm delighted that they come and ask for help. You know, if you have grown children and they still come to you and ask you for advice, you're honored. It's a delight to your heart. And how much more is the Father honored as we come to him with every need and we keep asking, we keep seeking, we keep knocking. But as we ask, we ask for, for good things. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for provision. We ask for witness, for, for wisdom. Uh, we, we ask for, for God to open hearts of people around us to the gospel. All of these things are good things that we might find ourselves asking for, for health and for healing. But in all of this, we, we go to him, and it's him. He is the thing we need most at the bottom of it all, and he is ours. Blessed are the, 
the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We possess relationship with the Father. And so I, I, I just pause at this moment, though, to think about those good things that we ask, and what do we do with it when we don't get what we ask for? When we ask for something good, it, it, doesn't God always give us what we want when we ask him? Let's think about that. Romans 8.32, one of my, uh, just a favorite passage and a beautiful verse within that passage. He who did not spare his own son, will he not even more give us all things? That's his heart, to give you every good thing. He wouldn't spare his own son. He's not stingy at all. He's lavish in love. Will he not give us all things? John 16, 23, perhaps even more boldly stated, Jesus to the disciples, he says, in that day, you'll no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Amazing, bold promise, but what does it mean? I think elsewhere, John writes in 1 John 5, 14, perhaps this clarifies it. This is the confidence we have in approaching, approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. When we pray in Jesus' name, we're praying in accordance with his will. It's like Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, remember? We begin with Father, going to a good Father who's accessible, who wants to hear us. And we begin with his priorities. Hallowed be your name. We want your name to be honored, Father. We want your kingdom to come, your will to be done, here on earth as it is in heaven. We start with his priorities. And then we start asking for those things that we need so that we can be a part of his mission and a part of hallowing his name for daily bread and all these good things. We pray according to his will. There's no carte blanche promise that everything we want will be given. And Jesus knew this, not only in head knowledge, he experienced this in the fullness of his divinity and his full humanity. Our Lord Jesus experienced unanswered prayer. Do you remember this in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's there. He's facing the cross and he's feeling it in the fullness of how a human being would feel impending death and torture, rejection, and all the shame. And he prays in Matthew 26, 39, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. You remember this? He prays, let this cup pass for me. He asks for a good thing, deliverance from terrible, terrible suffering. He asks for that good thing, but then he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And we know that he continued to do what the Lord had called him to do. The Lord didn't remove the cup. He went onto the cross, and on the cross with arms spread out, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's no beam of heavenly light. There's no answer with a booming voice. No, it was silence. And then he died. And he did all this, enduring unanswered prayer, so that we could have access to the Father so that we could possess eternal relationship with God, so that we could be called children of God, who could go to him in every season, not only asking him for help, 
But knowing his delight in us, knowing his love and forgiveness, knowing his purpose, purpose even in the midst of suffering that he can use for good. And so if you've experienced that feeling of unanswered prayer, you've, you've known a loved one and they were struggling and they were dying and you were praying for healing and he came together and you all prayed for healing and the Lord didn't give the healing you were praying for. Jesus died so that you could know that that loved one is with the Lord. It's a not yet. All who are looking to Christ in faith. There is hope beyond death. There's a greater hope than the prayer for healing. We cling to that with everything we've got. There are even harder situations. What about those who don't know the Lord? I, I'm in a family that lost a child. My sister died when I was young. My par parents praying, why? Right? The Lord doesn't give us an academic answer, but he gave us Jesus who endured the feeling of, my God, why? Who had unanswered prayer so that we ourselves could have eternal hope. The love of a father. And we can ask him always, even when we have hard questions, even, even read the Psalms, even when we're upset with him because he's not giving us what we want, we can go to him with that. He can handle it. Keep praying. It's how we love the Father as we ask him and declare our need for him. And he loves it when we depend on him in prayer. Secondly, we keep praying because persevering prayer forms us after God's fatherly love. It forms us. And this is where that connection comes in with verse 12. Perhaps you've heard the quote, as I said it earlier, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Maybe you've heard that before or you've heard other packaging of it. It's a, a quote from a physician in the 19th century, a, a, a well-known American physician. His son would become a Supreme Court justice, uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr., and that idea had a power to it that to this day has a lot of cultural currency. That those who are most pious, most committed to things like prayer, seeking to relate to God, that those are of no use to the world. You're no earthly good because you're so heavenly minded. If, if that's you or if you have someone who says that to you uh, in the week, you hear that kind of a voice, I just want to... I just want to help gently, uh, but, but clearly nudge on that for a moment. There's a, a story of a pastor. I don't know where the story comes from, uh, but a story of a pastor. He's on a sinking steamboat in the 19th century. And as he's on the steamboat, there's uh, all these men and women who come together with buckets. Everybody who's able-bodied gets a bucket, and they're trying to get the water out of the steamboat because it's sinking. They're trying to give time to the pilots to get them to the side of the river. And as they're, they're doing this, a woman comes up to the pastor. She's probably earnest-hearted. But she comes up to him and she says, Pastor, shouldn't you be praying for us right now? And he looks at her and says, I can pray with a bucket in my hand. <laughs> he keeps scooping the water out. 
you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good, it actually just doesn't add up to reality. Dr. Collins, Francis Collins, was asked during the pandemic, how should Christians live in the midst of pandemic? Well, he encouraged them to pray <laughs> because this is bigger than me. But at the same time, I'm going to do everything in my earthly power because the Lord has created me with unique gifting and a unique calling to love my neighbors in this way. And so I'm going to do what I can. We should all love our neighbors in that way. Do what we can. It's not an either or. As a matter of fact, secular research, not Christian research, secular research coming of, of all places from Harvard University, from sociologists like Robert Putnam, show that people of faith, particularly Christians, were committed to things like prayer and gathering together and learning from the Bible and looking to Jesus. These people are actually more likely to volunteer for good purposes in the world, more likely to give to good causes in the world, even beyond what they give to their congregations. And Jesus helps us to see the connection. Why is that? Why is that? It's because we've been formed in relationship with a loving father. Look at what he says in verse 12. So, or if you're reading King James or New American Standard, therefore, oftentimes in the scriptures, there's a, a couple Greek words that are equivalent to when we say therefore in English. And here it is. Therefore. And that therefore is communicating on the basis of what I've just said. Now. On the basis of the fact that you have a good father who's accessible. Who loves for you to come to him in prayer. Who loves to give you good things. Now, likewise. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. The, the Colton rule. Interestingly, the golden rule was uh, coined uh, that phrase from Roman Emperor Alexander Severus, who was not a Christian, but he wrote it in golden lettering on one of his chambers in his palace because he just thought it so well captured the good life. Even as an other than Christian person, he saw that. And many of our neighbors around the world have seen that. But what separates Jesus' teaching is that this is in response to the Father, and it's a reflection of the Father's love when we do unto others as we would have others do unto us. And furthermore, Jesus states this positively. Most often in the ancient world when similar wisdom was communicated, this common grace wisdom, the Lord has, has revealed to us what is good in all of our hearts. We can't deny it. But when it's communicated elsewhere, it's usually, usually committed, uh, communicated negatively. So don't do the stuff that you don't want your neighbor to do to you. Don't do that bad stuff, right? Which is a much lower bar than do unto others as you would have others do unto you, right? Jesus is calling us to love. To love in response to the Father. And so this is sort of what he's saying. Going to God in prayer makes you a person who wants what's best for your neighbors. And not only who wants what's best, but who will do what's best. Even at great cost to ourselves, we will do unto others as we would want others to do unto us because we've experienced that profoundly in the presence of the Father. Those who spend time with the Lord in prayer 
have that formational experience. This doesn't mean that you're going to be a yes man or a yes woman, who whenever someone asks you for something, you're going to give them whatever they want. Because the father, what does he give them? He gives them that which is good. He loves to give that which is good, right? Sometimes he says no, though. He doesn't live to please our every whim, but he loves and delights to please us with that which is truly good. It doesn't make us a yes man or a yes woman. It makes us an approachable man, an approachable woman. People can come to us and ask us for help. People can come to us and expect a gracious reception. It makes us considerate. Remember the Lord knows what we need before we even ask. And we, as we consider others, as we do unto others, as we would have others do unto us in response to the Father's love for us, we can consider others and their needs. You know, I've been thinking about you and I've seen this going on in your life. Is there a way I can be helpful to you? We will have actually been praying for them. <laughs> and we can say, is there any specific way I can be praying for you or any way I can help? It makes us considerate. It makes us truly loving. Being in the Father's presence forms us, shapes us. As we look to him, we become like that which we behold. And Jesus is loving our neighbors in response to this steadfast love of God. That sums up the ethical teaching of the law and the prophets. But what we see is that contrary to this statement, this silly cultural statement that you'll hear pretty far and wide in American culture, Faithful prayer doesn't decrease our impact on the world. It increases it. In fact, it unleashes incredible possibility. We're talking about the most powerful force in the world that we're accessing when we go to the Father. And so we're unleashing all of that possibility, truly seeking the good of our world and of our neighbor, asking the Lord's kingdom to come. And not only that, but we're unleashing the presence of God in the body of Christ. We're being formed after our Lord Jesus Christ, the very fullness of God, the image of God among us. We're being formed after him and after the love of the Father that he's known for eternity. And we get to share that with our neighbors as we do unto others, as we would have others do unto us. So why should we keep praying? We keep praying because the Lord loves to give us good gifts He's delighted as we come to him in all of our need. And we find that he's our true treasure even when we don't find the answer that we're looking for at that moment. But even more so, we keep praying because he forms us to become more like him, to be a clear picture of his love in the world. I, I want to close with just some practical helps for you because uh, I know I have needed help to grow in prayer. One of the things that's been helpful to me in my prayer life is simply keeping a journal. <laughs> and what I do is I just write down those times when you say, I'll be praying for you. Oh, dear ones, I, I really encourage you to keep track of those. <laughs> keep track of them. Write them down. In fact, the way the Lord has made us, there's, there's a deeper connection if you write it down, then if you type it or thumb it into your phone. 
somehow the Lord's made us in such a way that writing does something special in our brains. So I encourage you to write it down. Write down that prayer request. And then you can go back to it and you can keep track of it. And you can give thanks when the Lord answers that prayer. Or you can keep lifting it up to him. Because on January 3rd, Lord, I was praying for this. And Lord, I'm still asking you. I'm still not seeing it. So please, Lord, I'm asking you for this good thing in Jesus' name. And you can go back on February 17th and August 7th and, and on and on and on. And keep asking the Lord and keep track and see how he's faithful. Prayer journals are a helpful thing. Talk to one another. Learn other ways that are helpful. This is one way that's been helpful to me. But it's not just individual prayer that I want to encourage you in. I want to encourage you in praying together because Jesus said, y'all be asking, y'all be seeking and knocking. And so I want to encourage you, first of all, for those who uh, do life uh, ordinarily in families, whether married or married with kids at home, I want to encourage you to start a new practice of prayer. If it's not a regular part of your weeks beyond mealtimes and Sunday mornings to pray together, I want to encourage you to take that awkward step of saying, hey, this one night we're all home together. Could we take 10 minutes and just ask each other how we can pray and then pray? Listen to one another. You might write those things down so you can keep praying for them and pray together. And if you haven't been doing it, you can just say, guys, I'm just still trying to learn to follow Jesus. You know, we've got kids at that age and they say, well, why haven't you been doing this before? Why do we have to do this now? Well, it's just, we're trying to learn to follow Jesus. I'm still learning today. <laughs> and I want to experience what he might do in us if we look to him in prayer. I want what's good for our family, so let's pray. Give it a try. Come together and pray. You might uh, pray not only for personal prayer requests, you might even pray for your actual neighbors, your physical neighbors who live around you. If you don't know them yet, you say, Lord, help us to get to know our neighbors around us. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for people at school. You can pray for missionaries that our church supports. You can pray uh, for the ongoing work of the gospel here in Loveland. Ask that the Lord would continue to reach people with his saving grace. You can pray uh, as singles, uh, folks who are single, whether you've never been married, whether you've been divorced, whether you're widowed. Uh, we encourage you to come together and pray. You are part of the family of God. We call God Father together. We're his children together. So join together. Find a way to pray together with folks. We have small groups. You could talk to me, uh, Pastor Jim. Uh, we could talk to Chris Awesome, Linda Leon. Uh, we'll, Lord willing, have uh, another group uh, start before too long. We have home fellowship groups. And I don't know exactly where they all are, but I'm learning slowly uh, that they're there. And so if you're in a home fellowship group, you can reach out to folks. And you can also make prayer a part of your regular practice as we look to the Lord and we just lift up the real needs of one another. And he's faithful to give us everything that is good. You can go to him and you can ask. But I find that the greatest help to keep praying is simply this. It's just to look to God the Father in his word. Just truly look to him. 
consider what we read about him and that it's true. He didn't spare his own son. That's how much he loves you. And his heart is to give you all good things, everything that's truly good. You have been adopted through Jesus Christ. You are a son of God. You're a daughter of God, you who look to Jesus in faith. And when you see him in the morning, and when he sees you, you know you've sinned, and you wonder, can I really pray to God? Maybe I should wait till later today. After I've done a few you know, good things today, maybe I can go to God, right? Sometimes we think that way. But no, his mercy is really new every single morning, and not every morning only, but every moment it's new for you. And he looks upon you with delight, and he says, my, my dear daughter, I'm so delighted to see you this morning. And my son, I'm so happy to see your face. What's on your mind? Tell me. What do you need? Ask me. And so ask him. He delights in you. He delights in giving you what you need. Ask him. Think of the testimonies we'll have to tell of his grace. Think of the ways he'll form us as we go to him together. Faith, church, keep praying. Father, thank you that you give us this welcome to come to you. Thank you that we don't have to be afraid, but we can come to you with boldness. You want us to be in your living room as we are. We don't have to ask you perfect prayers. You'll sort it all out. Lord, uh, we do ask you for good things today. Many people in this church are praying for healing. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Many people are asking for restored relationships with children. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Lord, we have people coming to you uh, with, with difficulties at work. And we ask for your provision for open doors and opportunities. People who are lonely, who need companionship and encouragement. We ask it in Jesus' name. Lord, we ask for every good gift. You know what we need. So come and meet us at our places of need for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.